Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about games that respect your time. I am one of your hosts, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by two awesome other hosts. I've got Nate Heininger with me. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. And Shane Kelly, my bro host. How are you doing, Shane? Doing great, thanks. And we're talking today about versus puzzle games. I think we're going to focus mainly on a particular series, probably the Puyo Puyo series, um, because that has a big release coming up that we're very excited about. Uh, and it's also the one of these games that I'm kind of most, it's most dear to my heart. Shane and I have played a lot of it together. But um, generally, we're going to be talking about sort of two-player head-to-head puzzle games versus puzzle games. There's not really kind of like a super well-agreed-upon name for this type of game. Uh, you know, I, I usually just call them versus puzzle games or head-to-head puzzle games. Some people call them puzzle fighters or um, I've seen other sort of genre names thrown around. But generally, we're talking about, uh, and this is one of our episodes where we're going to be talking a little bit more broadly about a genre rather than about a specific game, although we'll, we'll narrow down a little bit as we go. Uh, we're talking about those sorts of games that are mostly item-dropping puzzle games in the Tetris style, um, but specifically games where you're playing a puzzle game against another person. Each of you has your own puzzles, and possibly you're throwing garbage or other stuff onto each other's screens. The two big games are Puyo Puyo and Tetris. And so I am super excited that those two great tastes that taste great together are going to be a early title for the new Nintendo Switch. Uh, this Puyo Puyo Tetris game, uh, which I've had a chance to play, um, only because you and I, Reagan, are kind of Puyo Puyo nuts. Uh, for some reason, we managed to like discover this game when we were kids even though there's been like basically no American releases of Puyo Puyo that were really any good, right? Yeah, this is a genre that's like really beleaguered in the U.S. Like, yeah, it's just pretty thin. So for those of us who didn't have a ton of experience to uh, games outside of America as kids or even current, uh, you may know this as Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. <laughs> you absolutely <laughs> would know it that way. Yes. Which is not a necessarily a great game, but is actually a game that I played a ton of when I was a kid because I was a Sonic fiend. And if it was Sonic branded, uh, which this is basically a, a Puyo Puyo reskin to Sonic characters uh, with some subtle changes, but um, that, that was my big experience of these games. Uh, Sonic Spinball, also a garbage game with a, uh, <laughs> with a Sonic skin on it, but that was uh, so... You may be like me and say, I've never heard of Puyo Puyo, but Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine uh, has a place in my heart. Yeah, that had a place in our rental uh, history at <laughs> Blockbuster, uh, back when Blockbuster would rent out con- uh, consoles and uh, cartridges to you. I'm pretty sure I remember renting this and feeling kind of disappointed when I found out it wasn't a traditional Sonic game. Like, I was like, oh, it's got Dr. Robotnik on the front, and, you know, you're just renting stuff from a video store. You have no idea what it is, and you get it home, and it's like, what is this? It's just a bunch of little <laughs> globs falling on the screen. I don't understand the rules, and these things are disappearing for no reason I can tell. Uh, it was very, very disappointing at the time. It's a funny flip, because today I would rather play Mean Bean Machine than any other Sonic game. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at the very least, you got to give them credit. Uh, 
Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is a great title. It is. Let's be honest. I, I don't know what the translation for Puyo Puyo is or if there is even one, but Mean Bean Machine is great. Well, yes. let me tell you. Um, so the Puyo Puyo series has been around for a long time now. Uh, it's not the first game in this kind of deal, and it's really hard for me to kind of pinpoint exactly where this kind of genre got started, probably with Tetris. I I tried to find out when I was doing a little research for the episode what the first Tetris with multiplayer was, and I was unable to sort of find that information. I know that the NES version of Tetris did not have it, but that the Game Boy version did if you linked two of them together. Um, mm. and uh, Or at least the NES Tetris from Nintendo didn't. The Actually, the Tengen one, which is really rare and was unlicensed, that one does have multiplayer. So I'm not really sure when when uh, multiplayer head-to-head um, play came into the Tetris series. Um, Dr. Mario has it, but I don't think the Tetris one for NES does. But anyway, that style of play started getting a little bit more popular, and there were a lot, a ton of Tetris clones hitting the market in the like mid 80s or you know early 90s everyone wanted to make a game that was the next tetris yeah and, like uh, like candy crush clones on the app store today which is really to say bejeweled clones maybe <laughs> snood clones snood, i was going to say some names snood. out there yeah all of which in a, in their in a way can all draw a line directly back to tetris anyway and the puyo series is one of those it the first game uh, just called uh, puyo puyo uh, was Something that you would really look at today and think this is a uh, rip-off Tetris clone, uh, or not clone, but you know, it is very uh, it's different in some puzzle elements, but really just trying to ride the wave of Tetris. And uh, it has a weird theme. So if you look at the, the Puyo games, they actually have a pretty consistent visual style throughout. These uh, little globs called Puyos are falling from the top of the screen. Yeah, they look kind of like the slimes from uh, the, the Dragon Quest series. And that's not accidental because the uh, the series, uh, the, the characters and the art of the series is all based on, uh, the Puyo series was originally a spin-off of a series of RPGs for the MSX computer in Japan. The game uh, that they're based on was called Mado Monogatari 123. And... Um, Mato Monogatari One Two Three was a Dragon Quest clone, and it was a real clone down to the fact that it had uh, enemies called Puyos that were really identical to the slimes in Dragon Quest. And um, a uh, the first Puyo game was a spinoff from that for the MSX, and later for the uh, Famicom Disk System, I think. Um, uh, and then uh, they partnered up with Sega to do a uh, release for it for arcades. Yeah, this is a bizarre secret history of, uh, of the Puyo. <laughs> yeah, I know. And um, so that, that arcade game ended... The arcade game ended up focusing almost entirely on the two-player, um, which was, I think, what caused it to be a really big hit in Japanese arcades. And so the first Puyo game was a big, big hit and was ported to a bunch of different stuff, and it's the one that people in the States are most familiar with. It never actually got an American release, but it got reskinned in many, many ways. Not just Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine that Nate mentioned, but also on the SNES, if you have played Kirby's Avalanche, that's the same exact mm. game. It's uh, Puyo 1. Um, if you had a computer, a Windows PC, or a Mac, you may have played it in the form of Timon and Pumbaa's Bug Drop. Or <laughs> Yes, <wow>. I have. <laughs> <laughs> 
Or another one that was called Quirks, Q-W-I-R-K-S, which is also basically the same game. That one was very confusing because it presented itself as a Tetris sequel. Alexei Pajitnov, the creator of Tetris, is on the box, and it's like presented by Alexei Pajitnov, but he had nothing to do with it apart from presumably giving them uh, permission to use his name and likeness. So anyway, it's like Steven Spielberg, yeah, just puts his <laughs> just puts his name on anything. Well, I mean, that's what they were doing with Tetris too. Um, like, we might talk a little later about some other games that are similar if you like this style. And things like Tetris Attack was a wasn't a Tetris game when it originated. It was a reskin of Panel to Pawn. So like this this kind of game. Yeah, there's a lot of cross pollination in the puzzle game arena. Like people. People like grab a little bit of this and a little bit of that, uh, and you know if you've got colorful elements that you're moving around uh, or dropping into a grid, uh, then you can basically harvest these game mechanics from a history of video games that goes back to the origin. Yeah. And yeah. so when we look at games like Puyo, uh, we're we're looking at a, a game that is a, a heavily evolved game and heavily iterated game. And the, the thing that I'm most excited about talking about is th- this new Puyo Puyo Tetris, because it's going to let you bring all these different styles together and put them head to head. Well, maybe not all, but all of my favorites, all of my absolute favorite style of puzzle games. Yeah. So Puyo Puyo Tetris, which is coming out, it's, all, it's been out since 2014, actually, but only in Japan. Yeah. This was something that I was I, I'm I'm crazy surprised that this is coming to America at all because if you know anything about the Tetris series, you know that they have a really bizarre uh, sort of lineage and weird licensing issues, particularly like globally, because you know and Alexei Pajitnov came up with the the game in the USSR and he had rights to it there, but then because of the Cold War, I guess, and people ignoring um, you know intellectual property in certain ways at the time. Um, Lots and lots of different companies made their own games exactly like and even named Tetris. And then after the Cold War ended, and I'm not an expert on all He's the details like, yeah, here. Yeah, hi guys. I have uh, I have the co- I, I created Tetris. Uh, <laughs> it's my product. So you guys that all made money off of it, please pay me. Yeah. And so now there's this situation with with Tetris as a as a property as a license where there's different regions in the world where different uh, different entities own Tetris and. It's different between Japan and America. In Japan, I don't know exactly all the details, but um, Sega has the rights to make Tetris games. And in the U.S., they don't. Um, EA owns the Tetris... Well, I think there's the Tetris company that owns the Tetris brand, and then they license it exclusively to EA for for U.S. games, which is why you only see like Tetris games from EA, and they're garbage. Yeah, it's got to be one of the most tangled... Um rights situations for one of the most important names in, in, in video game history. Yeah, from my understanding, you know, nobody has perfect IP laws and rights, but uh, the USSR was particularly <laughs> bad about um, about IP and, you know, giving the, uh, the correct amount of recognition to maybe the person who created the, uh, the content. Um, and, and one thing I wanted to say, too, while we were kind of talking about all these different iterations uh, where you're just kind of sticking the name on a game, even though it really doesn't have anything to do with what the original, like, Tetris Attack. You know, it's thinking about, um, like, 
game marketing at this time, like the late 80s, early 90s. You didn't have a whole lot of mainstream marketing. A lot of it was what's in the magazines or, um, you know, what do you see on the shelf if you're into games and you go to buy games. So just putting the name Tetris on something was one of your like best marketing tools because people would assume that it was part of the Tetris series and they would buy it. Whereas nowadays, you know, we'd be like, hold on, what's this game? Let me go on YouTube. Let me watch a four hour let's play before I decide to maybe download the demo. Uh, you could get away with stuff like that a lot better um, at that time. Absolutely. Distribution has changed everything uh, about video games. Um, so we were like from the original there, like the distribution for original Tetris I mean, according to the USSR, Tetris belongs to the people. So, wait, that sounds like a vampire. Uh, sorry, Rogers. Um But yeah, but distribution today is is all online, and uh, so you want to like specialize and, and give your customers exactly what they're looking for, and not just trying to once you get through the filter and get onto store shelves, give them something recognizable like Mr. Robotnik, Doctor Robotnik. Yeah. Come on, he did not go to four <laughs> years of Mean Bean College to be called uh, <laughs> Mr. Robotnik. All right. Well, to bring it back to uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris, um, you know, that's why I was so shocked to hear that it was finally coming out here. This came out in 2014 in Japan, uh, and it's on Vita and PS4 and a bunch of other stuff too, I think. Um, and uh, I imported it because I'm such a fan of the series, and I, I was pretty sure this was never getting uh, a U.S. release because of that copyright yeah. situation. But I don't know what they did, almost, but they must I have worked paid it out. Like sixty bucks to import a like a a a, a match three puzzle game, and I felt really weird. Yeah, I think it was. Only, I, I think I got it on eBay for only like thirty. But I'm super glad to know that people will just be able to download it and also be able to play it in English. It's a bit frustrating to have to sit there with a guide when you try to get through the menus. Um, but yeah. anyway. Uh, it's a blend of Tetris and the rules from Puyo Puyo 2. So if we want to talk about the way these games work, Puyo Puyo 2 is probably a really good place to start. Yeah, this is where we have the spoiler break uh, for people that, <laughs> that don't want to have uh, the rules The mechanics to, to a 30-year-old game. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, you collect, if you get four of the colored Puyos. Oh, guys, wait, wait, no spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> How many Puyos? So, um... So, and a lot of folks won't have any experience with Puyo Puyo 2 um, because it never actually got a proper U.S. release. There's a ton of games in the Puyo series, and I'll run down some of the others in a couple minutes, but uh, there's a ton of games in the Puyo series. Uh, Puyo Puyo 2 is by far the most popular, uh, but it's also one of the few that just does never got an official U.S. release, although you can you can download it in a variety of different ways that... I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll leave as an exercise to the listener, but if you can emulate games, you can play Puyo Puyo 2. Um, so Puyo Puyo 2 uh, started with the basic mechanics of Puyo 1, and it's really, really similar. It's not a huge departure. So if you played Dr. Robotnik's or something, then you already have the basics. Um, collections, little kind of tetrominoes of blobs, Puyo blobs, uh, are falling from the top of the screen. Uh, they come in a variety of colors, and... Um, as they, uh, they fall, uh, you get a little preview of which one's coming up next. This is all going to be familiar from Tetris. Where it's very different from Tetris, uh, if you haven't played any Puyo games before, is that the blobs don't stick together in a rigid way like Tetrominoes do. They fall apart. So when they, uh, when they hit, you know, let's say you have a, a line of Puyos and it falls, it's not going to support itself. It's going to come apart as it falls and all of the Puyos are going to fall to the bottom, fall past the other Puyos at the bottom of the screen. 
It's also not based on making lines like Tetris. It's based on matching Puyos of various different colors. So I think there's, I don't recall off the top of my head how many colors of Puyo, but if you get four uh, Puyos of the same color in any configuration touching each other, those Puyos vanish. And they, we should say they come down, at least in one that I played, they only come down in sets of two. It's not like Tetris where you might get like four in a row or like a little cube of them. It's just two. Uh, sometimes they're the same color. Most of the time it's two different colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's some exceptions to that in some of the games where they drop big fat Puyos that are actually like four of them stuck together. But yep. That's a story for after the second spoiler blade. <laughs> right. So these Puyos falling from the top of the screen, cascading down. The real big difference in terms of gameplay is chains. Um, in Puyo 1, this was a, a, a important aspect of the game, but it became an even bigger deal in Puyo 2 the whole game is kind of about setting up these large chains. You know, in Tetris, you can try and leave a gap and you get more points for eliminating multiple lines at the same time. Um, But there's kind of a limit to that, really. Like, you can't really... Just four tall. I mean, to be fair, though, that is still an incredibly satisfying experience. Even in today's modern gaming, setting up a Tetris block where all you need is the, the long four, you know, the stick, to just slot in there and you get... A block of four all cleared out. Mm-hmm. Feels yes. great. The Tetris. Puyo. Yes. Puyo. Puyo. That is called getting a Tetris. That's called, yeah. Um, you know what I learned recently? That Just as a side note, Tetris-wise, you know that Alexei Pajanov says that the name is a combination of Tetromino and Tennis. Tennis, okay. Yeah. Right. Huh. I, don't really, I don't really see any tennis in there. But maybe when you're playing it head-to-head. There's nothing really going back and forth, though. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Which I would say is probably the key element. If uh, if you're interested in Tetris, I, I'd just like to mention a movie that I watched recently that I absolutely loved. Um, it's it's out there on um, YouTube. You can find it pretty easily. The movie's called The Ecstasy of Order, The Tetris Masters. And it's a, it's a documentary about the first um, Tetris World, or classic Tetris World Championship uh, that has been held for the most part in uh, Portland. Uh, throughout its run and it's got it's really exciting because they've got the uh the kid uh thor ackerlund who won the original nintendo world championships and they've got footage of him winning the original nintendo world championships is that his Uh, real name that is his real name yes (laughs) and they've got that's uh, fantastic the, the personalities of all the people who are you know the top in the world in tetris is really interesting Um, And there's actually just a significant amount of Tetris gameplay footage and and a real amount of Tetris strategy talk uh, between these Hmm. these high-end Tetris pros in this movie. In addition to interviews with Alexei Pajitnov, with talking to people from Twin Galaxies, all kinds of stuff like that. So it's a really, it's a great movie uh, for fans of this kind of thing. That's awesome. I'm assuming you've seen The King of Kong. Oh, absolutely. I would put this movie yeah. right up there with King of Kong. It's not quite the um, kind of mano a mano head to head thriller, intense yeah. <laughs> thriller that King of Kong is because it's more of an elimination tournament. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it has all the all the same elements that drew me to that movie for sure. Awesome. I wonder what Thor, he really found a good career if he stayed in video games. Uh, one way or another, he found a good career for his first name. It's hard to imagine him being like an accountant somewhere. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) He goes by his middle name, Ted. (laughs) 
so coming back to Puyo Puyo 2 and its chain mechanic, um, that's really what sets the Puyo series apart for me. You you build up the... It's kind of a risk-reward. You can build up things without matching them in special configurations where then you can drop one, uh, one Puyo in just the right place and set off a chain that might uh, match, you know, two, four, six, eight, maybe more uh, Puyos all either all at once or in a kind of a cascading chain. And that's super satisfying and fun to do. Yeah. It has all the, all the good feels of, of dropping that long bar mm. in for the Tetris. Um, I feel like is even better when you yeah. get like a two or a three or a four or five chain in Puyo. It just keeps going. And yeah. sometimes you get, uh, you, you know, you set up like a chain, but you didn't really like, you accidentally stumble into like, uh, even further chains and it's like, yeah, yes, yeah. Holy shit! Oh my, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. like it's it's super satisfying and exciting. And what Puyo Puyo Two tweaked that I think made that whole experience of of uh, of doing these chains even more satisfying is that those aren't just for points. So in Puyo One, it already had a system called uh, Garbage Puyos, where if you did a chain, it would toss Garbage Puyos, which are clear, unmatchable Puyos, onto your opponent's board. So you're trying to make these, uh, you know, complex matches as quickly as you can so that you can toss garbage onto your opponent's board to make their matches harder to do. Um, Puyo 2 added a, a, a key element that's been in every Puyo game since, and that's called the, called Susai, which is garbage countering. I don't know what Susai means, if that's a Japanese word, but it, that's just the word that's used in Puyo for this. But Susai means they'll that... translate it when they bring Puyo Puyo Tetris to I wonder, US yeah, that's a good question. Susai means. Yeah, um, but anyway, garbage countering is this really cool mechanic where if I send garbage to your screen, it doesn't immediately drop onto your screen. It builds up in a buffer above your board. You can just sort of see this avalanche of shit building up above your your carefully designed tower of Puyos. Oh my god. And the tension <laughs> of that, seeing that huge pile up there is unbelievable. But it doesn't fall until you screw something up. It falls when you drop a Puyo that doesn't do a, a match or a chain. Um, but if I've just sent a bunch of uh, garbage above your board, if you can, before your next, you know, uh, useless Puyo drop, you know, if you can start matching immediately, then you start countering that garbage before it hits your board. If you can pull off a really big chain, you might eliminate all of that garbage and send garbage back over to me. So it adds this tension to it that's really cool. And um, it also means that if you're a real expert, you can just absolutely curb stomp uh, your opponent by just building up this enormous buffer of garbage on their side that they just can't overcome and then all of it drops all at once and they're elim- eliminated immediately it's really cool yeah i mean you already have so much pressure of of just like matching things um to have this pressure of like if i screw up it's going to make my matching things even more difficult uh it's terrifying it's it's such a good counter to to like the flow that you get into in this game and to have just a wall of garbage dropped on all of your carefully laid plans uh, is awful. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. And you have to kind of like start over to clear through the garbage um, and hopefully send it back to the other player, who's probably, if you're playing in the same room, laughing their ass off because yeah. you just had a whole wall of garbage dropped on you. You know, and, and one of the nice things about it is that even if you do get a, a like a pile of garbage dumped on your on your carefully made stack of Puyo, 
Um, if you have, in fact, made that stack of Puyo carefully, it's very easy to clear the garbage because if you can just make a few matches and the garbage Puyo, any garbage Puyo touching the match uh, will disappear. And a lot of times that is actually a really effective way to set off a chain. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a game that's a little bit swingy, you know, things can go really hard in one way or, or, or another, but... That's a master level Puyo strategy right there. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for that hot tip. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to try and keep the hot Puyo tips to a minimum because I'm actually not any good at Puyo. Yeah, that's something really interesting about this. Like, I I consider myself okay at this game, but I have seen it's fun. play. It is. It's super fun. I've seen play on a level that I cannot even begin to approach. Um, now you so. say that about every game I play. And this is a short <laughs> game. It's not like I, I pour hours and hours into... Wait, hold on. <laughs> I have this... Um, I just got this like nightmare scenario in my head of walking into a room when you two were children, identical twins, playing a Japanese import game, just screaming at each other, can't tell which one is which and what's going on on the screen. If I was your parents, I'd just like close the door and walk away. <laughs> That's basically what happened. Yeah. Uh, so I actually got into this series with Puyo Pop Fever, and that was one that got actual wide release in the U.S. Um, yeah, it came out for the uh, Game Boy Advance, right? That was the one we got first? Well, no, I think that the first version I played was the Dreamcast version, I think. Mm, Maybe? I'm pretty sure that it was the it was the Game Boy Advance version. You may be right. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, Would have been around the same time. Yeah, or maybe, so I know I played it on the DS. Anyway, I'm not even really sure. Um, I definitely emulated Puyo 2 as well, so I don't know if I came to that first. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, we, um, I'm not going to go through the whole history of the Puyo series. There's a lot of games in this series. If you want a really yeah. interesting little deep dive on every game in the series, uh, Hardcore Gaming 101 has a great article that kind of summarizes them all, explains the changes that happened between games and how the series evolved. Um, it'll also tell you which games came out on what platforms. So if you want to play one of these uh, on a console, you can just glance through that list. Um, I really, really like the uh, Saturn version of Puyo Puyo 2. Um, there's also, it's a very cheap import if you have a, a, an SNES uh, and you want to play it on a console. Um, there have been a bunch of other games, uh, Puyo Puyo, uh, Puyo Pop for GBA, um, got an American release, mysteriously. It's just called Puyo Pop. This was, they, um, in a lot, a lot of the uh, U.S. releases were called Puyo Pop rather than Puyo Puyo until recently. Um, and Puyo Pop for GBA is basically uh, Puyo Puyo 2 with a story mode. Um, so it's a good place to start if you want a uh, portable version. Um, the Nintendo DS version of Puyo Pop Fever is also very good. Um, it's out on GameCube. Um, Puyo Pop Fever is really different. Uh, it has all the same stuff from Puyo Puyo 2, but it adds this fever mode that's pretty neat. Um, there's a gauge that builds up when you deflect garbage. And then if you build that gauge up all the way, uh, you drop into this special fever mode where it gives you little preset puzzles that are kind of like little mini pre-designed things where you can drop one or two Puyos and set off a chain. Um, and if you can do that very quickly, uh, then you can win a match really quickly. I don't actually like fever mode, um, but it's a nice twist. Yeah, I, I like it. I think it's a it's it's a good cure for the for the swinginess that um, the garbage introduces. Maybe, yeah. It's a it's an interesting tweak. And Puyo Pop Fever was the version that probably got the most wide release in the United States. It was on the GameCube, the Dreamcast, the PS2, the Xbox, uh, the DS, and um, it's since then come out on a thousand other 
uh, platforms as well, although most of those other ports haven't gotten U.S. releases. I'm trying to think of other games that we've covered for this show that are like head-to-head competitive games. We've done a lot of cooperative multiplayer games. but Towerfall? Done any... Yeah, Towerfall. Yeah. Um, Nidhogg. We've done Nidhogg, of course. Did we do an episode on Nidhogg? We're going to have to do one on Nidhogg, too, when I, that comes up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Nidhogg, too, man. Um, not to sidetrack for for too long, but, like, what a weird art style. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. I still don't. I do not like the art style that they've gone with with Nidhogg, too. And I was, like, really down on it. But then I played it at, uh, at Day of the Devs, and I was like, oh, wait, this is super fun. So, yeah, I, I, think, it's still, I think it's still worth a look. Awesome. I think also right now would be a good chance just to get your guys' opinions on the Switch. I, oh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's the big topic in, in video games right now. Um, if I remember, both of you have pre-ordered? Yep. Yes. All right. So I guess that's enough <laughs> of an opinion. <laughs> I'm, I'm the kind of guy who, uh, like, when when I see something that I know I really am going to enjoy, um, I just go right for it. That's why I went for the PS uh, VR, uh, and pre-ordered that. And I've, I feel like I've had a great time with that. Um, I skipped out on the last, you know, on the Wii U, just because I, I really wasn't sure about that as a console. And I turns out that it was a pretty good move. It's had the fewest, um, games come out for it of any Nintendo console ever. Um, I think the Switch is really going to be something special. And I think for a few reasons. First, I think that the design of the hardware is looking really good. And now I've yet to have it in my hands. If I if I pick it up and, you know, the turns out the rails are mounted the wrong way and the screen falls out the first time I use it, uh, you know, I'll, that I'll, would be I'll a maybe, problem. I'll maybe try and, and hawk it on somebody else. So. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, but I, I think this, the hardware looks really good and innovative, and it's all the good things that I like about in, in Nintendo's innovation, like unique, interesting ways of controlling um, your video games that kind of still have a good experience with the classics. Um, I just also think that the the new design that makes it portable and shareable, that sort of these weirdly named Joy-Cons um, that really makes sense to me when they started talking about it in terms of share the joy. And I am a huge fan of cooperative games, mm-hmm. right? And I'm also a huge fan of games like this that are a little bit more head-to-head. And a console like the Switch that I can bring with me somewhere, plop down on any convenient table, and hand a controller to somebody. And we're both playing on you know really familiar, what looks like really uh, usable controls. Uh, I think that's really appealing to me. Uh, especially for a game like this. Uh, so that's a big part of why I'm, I'm excited about the Switch. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I've said uh, many times that you know my favorite thing in video games is is playing with someone else in the room. Either it's cooperative, head-to-head, whatever. Like, those are, if I had to make a list of like some of my top 10 best gaming experiences, almost all of them are probably going to be when I was playing a game with someone. Um, so the concept of maybe being able to bring the switch somewhere and bring the experience, you know, to someone's house that maybe doesn't have, uh, games or even like to work or something, uh, is definitely appealing. 
Uh, we should say this show is not brought to you by Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like, I have skepticism about a lot of things about the Switch. My biggest skepticism about it is just um, whether they're going to be able to attract the kind of games I want to play. The constant Nintendo problem. Yeah. Well, they're going to be able to attract Nintendo first-party games, which is an advantage that no other console can possibly have. That's, that's true. basically the only thing they could sell me on a on a handheld console at this point is the, the Nintendo logo on it. Well, I don't know, like you could say a lot of that about the Wii U, and yet it didn't really work out. Like there were some good first party Nintendo games on the Wii U, but it ended up kind of crashing and burning. And I I worry when I look at things like uh like one two switch that I just don't see who that's for or why it would appeal to almost anyone. It just doesn't make any sense to me as a game concept. It just looks unfun. Uh, particularly as a, like a full price, like $60 game that just... Yeah, I think there's maybe something to be said about that. I think they're they're trying to they're trying to capitalize on the excitement of, of new hardware. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. I think that pr- the price on things like 1-2 Switch that are a little bit more gimmicky will go down. We've seen that happen with things like Wii Sports in the, in the past. I think it should have been a, a pack-in. They should have, they should have had it some kind of some kind of pack in with these things it should have been a pack in like wii sports mm-hmm. probably but there are definitely games that i think are going to command a higher price on the switch just by virtue of the fact that it is a, a great shareable uh, experience and this game is one of them uh bomberman is one of them who would have thought that we would have bomberman which is another head-to-head set sort of I puzzle love bomberman game. Oh, yeah man, pretty yes. like bomberman. a ton of Bomberman 64, I played yeah. a ton. So have you of. seen the new Bomberman for the Switch? Mm-hmm. It looks I'm phenomenal. It. And yeah. it's, you know, shareable. It's uh portable. And I'm I'm just pretty excited for it. It's it's online as well. I haven't had a good online Bomberman in a long time. Ever? Uh, <laughs> ever? ever? I think. So <laughs> In a long time, <laughs> since the dawn of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you have your uh, your Saturn and its Netlink dial-up modem, uh, then <laughs> you can definitely play Bomberman online, um, as long as the person that you want to play against also has a Saturn and a Netlink dial-up modem, and it's nineteen ninety. As we all do, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The server is up, right? Well, cool. I so I haven't. Um... I haven't pre-ordered yet. Um, and who I don't have thought gender- they would be able to charge $60 for Bomberman ever again, right? Well, the, but I think what Reagan is arguing is that they shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, I, so you, you can charge whatever you want, you know. Yeah, I, I'm actually definitely more willing to to drop that kind of money on a really good Bomberman experience. Um, what, what I'm thinking about really is like, when I look at the the Switch, I see a kind of a souped-up PS Vita. And that's probably because I'm a big fan of the PS Vita, but there's a lot in common there. Like, they are a small, portable console with an HD screen, Wi-Fi connection, uh, you know, SD card-like storage for games and for um, and for downloads. It, it's there's, there's a lot in common there. And the Vita didn't go so well. And that was because they had a really hard time uh, attracting third parties to make games on it that were that were gonna be what you'd consider like a triple a game so like i i don't know whether i don't think nintendo is going to be able to attract um big game publishers to make full-fledged triple a style third-party games on the vita or excuse me on the on the nintendo switch uh, in a similar way to the way that sony had trouble doing that with the vita because it is you know it's not quite as 
big of a deal porting wise probably as it was for the Wii U with its incredibly weird control scheme that you had to take into account and its weird architecture of being like, you know, three Wii's taped together or whatever. But it's, um, I think it's still going to be a challenge. Like, I don't think it's a sure thing as much as I think the hardware seems like a really great design. Um, I don't think it's a sure thing. But I do think it's going to be a fantastic platform for indie games if Nintendo lets them on it, you know, in a, in a way that mm-hmm. works for indie game developers. And that's the same experience I had with the Vita. The Vita was my, you know, indie game handheld machine, but it's starting to show its age. I'm hoping that the Switch is my new indie game handheld machine. Yeah, I'm hoping that too. And, and I'm, I'm seeing numbers in news articles that say things like that there are a hundred games now in development for the switch from 70 different publishers. And that's very encouraging to me. Yeah. So, uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris is going to be one of my first purchases on the system for sure, but, uh, hopefully it will not be anywhere near my last. So looking forward to doing that. Yeah. So if somebody wanted, they just listened to this episode and they want right now, this is pre switch release. What's the best way to go and play a Puyo Puyo game? I would have two suggestions. The first one would be if you just want to download something right away and you're okay with emulation as your as your way of doing this, download Puyo Puyo 2. Um, you can get, uh, in, if, you're, if you're worried about playing a game that has uh, Japanese language menus, there are ROM hacks of Puyo Puyo 2 to be in English. And uh, they're totally usable, but even without that, it's completely fine. You know, you you hit like start three times, and you're in a game. Um, you don't have to read the menus, and even if you even if you uh, want to try for different game modes, you can figure it out. It's really easy. Um, if you prefer uh, a you, you know a U.S. release, um, get Puyo Pop Fever. It's fantastic too, um, and it's on the Dreamcast, GameCube, and Nintendo DS. And uh, it's still not a terribly expensive game for those systems. You can you can find it or pick it up, or in some cases probably emulate it too. Um, so those would be the two things that I'd recommend if you were wanting to try this series out. Cool. I know I have a lot of fond memories of my little experience with this genre, uh, so I'm excited to see maybe a resurgence in this um, with the new consoles. And I expect if it does well on Nintendo, then perhaps we'll see a broader release to other consoles as well or maybe that's already planned yeah it actually is already planned the um the switch version is coming out in q1 2017 so it's not a launch release but it's going to be shortly after the switch launch and at the same time they're launching uh the ps4 version they're not releasing the vita version um or any of the other ports of the game but they are bringing it to the playstation 4 so if you're not buying a switch or if you just prefer uh, the P- I may actually buy both. I'm not really sure um, which I'm going to prefer playing it on. Um, if more people want to play online on the uh, on the PS4, I, I think it's likely to have a better online experience. But other than that, like it's probably going to be the same game. <laughs> Wait, are you predicting that Nintendo won't have a great online experience? A great <laughs> well, online I don't UI? know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not holding my breath for a great online experience on the Switch. But we'll see. Um, And before we wrap up, I wanted to just briefly point out some other games that if you're interested in head-to-head puzzle games and you want to try more diverse types of them, you know, which puzzle games gel for your particular brain uh, can be a really 
it can be really uh, personal, and some people like, you know, Tetris, some people like uh, Puyo, but other people might like something else, and there's a few others that are really good and uh, that are kind of fit this same mold if you want to try other stuff, or games that you might already be familiar with. Um, one is uh, Bust-A-Move. If you've ever been in an arcade, you're probably likely to have seen Bust-A-Move. It was an, a Neo Geo uh, game, and it was um, uh, the one, it's part of the... Um, Part of the Bubble Bobble series, it's a spin-off of Bubble Bobble. So you've got the little robot or little dinosaur guys from Bubble Bobble spitting little bubbles up uh, with a little like uh, bubble launching thing at the bottom of the screen. Um, another series that I'm really fond of that had a similarly weird uh, release history is the Puzzle League series. If you played Tetris Attack on the SNES, then you were actually playing uh, Panel de Pawn. Panel de Pawn was the first game in the Puzzle League series. The names are getting really tortured here. Um, you may be uh, more familiar with that under the name Pokemon Puzzle Challenge or Pokemon Puzzle League on the uh, Game Boy and also on the um, N64. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, and it had some... It, it now pretty much just goes by... They've kind of gotten rid of the uh, confusing naming scheme, and the more recent games are just called Puzzle League This or That. So there was a Game Boy Advance game that had uh, Dr. Mario and Puzzle League on one cartridge, and then later on the DS and DSi, there was uh, Planet Puzzle League and Planet Puzzle League Express. All of those are great versions. Um, I'm a really, really big fan of the Puzzle League series as well. If you don't like head-to-head, um, I think Puzzle League is a little more interesting. Um, there's a, a series I'm less familiar with, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, which is a spin-off of the uh, Street Fighter 2 series. Mm. There was no Super Puzzle Fighter 1. Super, Pi Fighter Pu yeah. Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo is the game in this series. <laughs> and uh, it's a sort of a spin-off. If it's not confusing enough. I have played it, and it's, I mean, I, I found it confusing. <laughs> yeah, that one's really confusing to has, me. Uh, it has um, characters from your favorite fighting game. Yeah, if you like um, if you like the Street Fighter characters, that's probably, probably the draw there. But it does have fun puzzle mechanics that some people like a lot. I find it a little more complicated than I like. It has this kind of weird mechanic where... Things don't automatically disappear when they match. Like with Puyo, they have to touch a matching color crash gem. And I don't know. I just found the whole thing a little bit too complicated. But um, it's it's very popular on its own. And there's an HD remake of that that's available as a download on the Xbox 360 and the PS3. So um, if you're wanting something to play on one of those consoles, it's a good one to check out. Um, and if you have a current system, there's a really recent game that I've liked a lot called Tumblestone. Um, Tumblestone is... Uh, it doesn't have, I think, like garbage mechanics, throwing things onto each other's screens. Or at least I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think it does. But apart from that, it has really nice online multiplayer and good couch co or couch verses as well. Um, and it's kind of a halfway point between something like um, Tetris Attack or like uh, like the Panel to Pawn series and maybe um, Magical Drop, which is another one that I haven't mentioned. But um, it, you've got a little dude at the bottom of your uh, of your screen who can fire little missiles upwards at blocks, but you have to shoot them in groups of three of the same color. Um, and if you <laughs> screw up, then you have to start over. And it's a race between you and your opponent to uh, to clear these boards without putting yourself into situations where you can't shoot three of the same color. Um, you know, if you shoot all the ones of if you only got like one of one color left, uh, you might may put yourself in a situation where you're stuck and have to start over and lose the race. So it's a really uh, it's a really good one if you're wanting a nice modern game. I think it's like twenty five dollars on the PSN, which 
might seem high, but it's really good. Cool. I mean, we were saying it right out of the beginning that obviously this series has spawned a million series. Um, so it's cool to see the different iterations. And I imagine, uh, especially if the two new releases do well, uh, we'll only see more and more and more. Uh, or the re-releases for Switch and for PS4. Uh, we'll only see more of this. So it's cool. It's a, it's a fun fun little genre. Yeah, this is a type of game that I always play if I have the option, and I'm really excited to see it finally starting to take the leap into sort of being more modern. I think this is Puyo Puyo Tetris is the game uh, to find out if this is the kind of game for you. And I think I think there's a few reasons. One, everybody has a little bit of understanding and affection for Tetris. I don't think I think that like probably two out of three people have played Tetris at some point in their life. Uh, and know the basics of Tetris. And this is going to let you build off of that because you can literally play Tetris and then start to mix in Puyo stuff. So that's great. Uh, On the Switch, uh, that head-to-head experience is going to be something unique and an easy way to share a a, a kind of a shareable experience, which, you know, one of the best things about this game is how shareable it is. It's very accessible, but very challenging, very quick to play. It's not a time commitment where two people have to sit down all day to, to beat it. Um, and also having played it, it felt really fair and balanced, you know, even back and forth between the Tetris and the Puyo when we were doing that. So I just think it's going to be a great experience for people that are interested in this kind of game. Yeah. And we don't really do episodes of this show that are about like upcoming games, but this is, this is an instance where this is an upcoming game uh, for a system that isn't even out yet that I've already been playing for a year because it's been out in Japan and I imported it and it's really fun. Like this is a polished game. It's, it's really well done and I absolutely recommend it when the switch comes out or even if you don't buy a switch once it's out on the PS4. Awesome. Well, I will, bu- I, I still am un- unsure about the switch, but also just like, you know, budget is, is a concern for me too. Um, but I will certainly be getting it for uh, PS4. Absolutely. Great. Uh, and on that, we know what we're doing next. We do. We're going to be talking about um, read-only memories, or actually, as it's been re-released, 2064 read-only memories. I think I'm going to retitle it um, 2064 Read Aloud Memories, <laughs> because it is one of the wordiest games that I've ever <laughs> played. It really is. You right. have to know what to expect going into it because uh, it's a visual novel. I mean, it kind of presents itself as a uh, as an adventure game and it has a lot of adventure game stuff, but really it's it's a it's really part of that sort of visual novel style of adventure game. If you've played uh, Snatcher or uh, Police Knots or something like that, uh, then it's right in that same kind of wheelhouse. And well, uh, who hasn't played Snatcher and Police Knots? I <laughs> well, this uh, this game is a little bit longer. Um, eight to ten hours is what most people say. So that's um, so we're all in the midst of playing it right now. Um, I've been really enjoying it. It is just being. It is a lot of dialogue. It's it's a lot of being told stuff and clicking on yeah. things. But I, I'm enjoying um, that aspect of it, though. It's it's yeah. a pretty pretty cool character. It's engaging, and I'm glad that we waited until the update uh, in order to play it. Uh, we actually uh, got a review copy of the game from the developers when it first came out under its original title, Read Only Memories, and I gave it a shot at that time, but I didn't get very far into it because it's it's a lot of reading, um, and you know I'm a caveman. Man. Um, 
But adding voice acting to it, which they did recently, um, really brought the game to life and made it flow a lot better. And we'll have things to say about it on the episode, but if you've been holding off on playing that game, um, maybe give it a shot and let us know what you think. We'll try and talk about, uh, if you let us know before the episode, then we'll uh, try to read some of that on the show. And if not, we're always happy to hear uh, what people are thinking. And... So I guess that's it for this week. Uh, thank you guys for joining me on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, I am Reagan Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Um, Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at Nate S-T-L. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. And of course, you can follow our show on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can go to www.theshortgame.net where we have all of our past episodes and show notes, and there's a contact form where you can let us know what you're thinking. Um, of course, you can also email us at info at theshortgame.net, or the best thing you can do for the show if you're enjoying it is leave us a review on iTunes. We have a link to that on our website, uh, or just go to iTunes and search for it and leave us a review. We really appreciate it. It's the best way to support the show. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.